Welcome to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos. And with me today is my friend, Shonda Fisher. She was with us last week when we talked about Genesis 2 and 3. And today we are going to be discussing the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So welcome today. Thanks for being with me, Shonda. Oh, my pleasure. I'm excited to be here today. So do you celebrate Passover? We do. We started doing um, celebration of Passover. It's probably been three years now. Okay. So is it you and your husband or your family? Who who all takes part in it? Yes, it's my whole family. Um, I have a son and a daughter. Uh, my daughter is married, so her family. And then my son is engaged, so his fiance comes over and we have a meal. Uh, we also put red ribbon over the door at the start of Passover. And we have a cross with a red sash over it outside the front of the door as well. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's really neat. I wouldn't have thought to put the red ribbon on my doorframe as the, the course representing the blood of the lamb. And so that's really interesting. I think that's cool to do that. How did your family feel when you first decided to start doing this? Were they on board or did you have to kind of coax them? Uh, My daughter was totally on board because we've kind of, my daughter and I kind of finish each other's thoughts a lot of times. So um, we've been studying a lot of the same of God's word and we started studying the Passover and I actually started doing the red ribbon. And then when I started doing the red ribbon over the door, she was like, mom, that's such a great idea. So she did the red ribbon and it brings a, a comfort to you. It almost feels like just the celebration of putting the red ribbon over the door during Passover. I can't explain it, but there's just a oneness or a closeness that you feel with God by doing that. And so she and I started talking about how neat would it be to actually have a Passover meal? So we started reading up on the Passover meal and we just started doing the Passover meal to go with it. Wow. That's pretty cool. This year is the year I told the Lord that my husband and I at least would do every feast, the seven feasts. I've done different feasts in the past, but never like all seven of them. And, but I I really felt like the Lord was impressing on me to do that. I think that when we see that the feasts are the Lord's feasts, not the Jewish feasts, or necessarily even the Jewish holidays, which they get called a lot, but The Bible clearly says that God said that these were his feasts and these are to remember what he did, not what the Jews did, but what he did and what he gave. And so when we can see Jesus in each of the feasts, then I think that we need to open our eyes to the fact that these feasts are to remember everything he has done, but that he is faithful to do them again and again and that he keeps doing them. He keeps forgiving us. He keeps redeeming us in the sense that as we sin, as we fall, he picks us back up and he makes us right again. And as we keep these feasts, then I heard um, a rabbi say they were feasts of worship, but they're also feasts of witness. And I thought that was really good because who's a witness to our family, but also anyone we invite. It's a witness to them, but it's also worship of everything he's done. The symbolism, even in what we're talking about today, it began with the Exodus. 
And right before they left Egypt, they had this feast. So what is our exodus as Christians, as Gentiles? Our exodus is from the land of Egypt, which represents basically our old lifestyle, our sinful nature. And so, and through Jesus, we exit, we go through an exodus to leave that lifestyle because it is a journey. It's not happened. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a journey out of Egypt and out of our old nature. And while spiritually that exchange is instant, physically and emotionally, it's not instant. It takes time. Right. And I like how you said it, you know, it was a form of worship and how you're witnessing because when I put that ribbon over the door, that's the first thing that came to mind Mm -hmm. when I was doing that, because I'm like everybody in my neighborhood and everybody that's driving by, they're going to see that. And they're going to realize we are celebrating that. Like I said, before we started doing the meal, as we were just putting the ribbon out for the Passover, that's what it felt like. It felt like such a, a closeness to God, like a way of worshiping him and remembering what we were brought out of right the sin that we have been brought out of yeah that's good i want to start in egypt so from egypt we'll move on to holy week as we know passover began on the night before they left egypt the night before the exodus god commanded his people to to do this passover meal but This, of course, was after the 10 plagues that God inflicted on the Egyptian people. Those 10 plagues, in case you don't know, those 10 plagues actually represent the gods that the Egyptian people worshipped. And you found out something interesting, Shonda. So what did you want to share that? Yeah, uh, one day I was just doing a Bible study on my own. And as I'm doing the Bible study... Uh, the different paragraphs, you know, at the top, it'll say like the plague of frogs, the plague of gnats, the plague of flies. So I was wondering, okay, well, why did God use frogs and gnats? So I just kind of got to looking plague of frogs. I looked up frogs under the Hebraic language, what it meant, what it represented. And it says that it represents unclean spirits. So then the gnats, I looked that up and the plague of gnats meant torment. And then the plague of flies was rot decay and death wow that's very interesting and we found a um i will put in the show notes but it actually talks about all 10 plagues and the 10 egyptian gods and goddesses that they represent so that was pretty interesting but there's also um you want to read revelation 16 starting at verse 13 Because I thought that was an interesting piece of scripture there that um, kind of coincided with something you said just a minute ago. Absolutely. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. So there's a... Hebraic way of studying things and this, well, let me say that's a Hebraic way of studying scripture, which is called the law of first mention. So when you find something like in this case, if you're reading Revelation and you see frogs, 
then you go back to where it was first mentioned, which is in the book of Exodus. And it's it's called the law first mentioned because when you go back, you find where it was first mentioned and you can do that with the concordance or anything. It kind of shows you the meaning of it or the way it was used the first time. And that's going to be significant in the way that it's used the second time or the third time. And this just is a good example. Like reading Revelation, when you mentioned frogs, that's what came to my mind. But then you saw it, of course, it's in Exodus. And so putting those two together was like, oh, here we see a time of judgment happening in the book of Exodus. And we see a time of judgment happening in the book of Revelation. And we see frogs mentioned both times. So there's a significance there and there's a tie in there. So very cool. The other thing I found out was the Egyptians also, besides those 10 gods and goddesses, they also worship the lamb as a deity. And, And I thought... You know, here these Egyptians would see these Jews taking in a little lamb into their homes and thinking, oh, how nice they're taking in our gods. And then only to see them slaughtered and cooked and eaten and think, oh, my goodness, you just ate one of our gods. Not only was it, again, to represent Jesus, you know, 1500 years later, but it also just was God showing off in a sense. It's saying, um, yeah, you're going to think this is a deity. Well, I'm going to use it to save my people. Yeah. It's more than your deity. It's, it's who my son is. It's, it's going to save my people now and the blood's going to save their lives now and the blood will save their lives forever. And I think that's just such a cool thing that how he does things and how he takes what we know and then right. uses it in a different way, especially throughout the Bible. He used what people knew and used it in a different way or conquered it as if conquering their God himself. Right. You know, when you were saying that, the thing that kind of came to my mind was, can you imagine the Egyptians when the lambs were being eaten and they were roasted and the smell filling the air? I know, <laughs> because they do smell good. I mean... <laughs> And we had two little lambs born this week. So it's not lost on me that here I am. One is called a bummer lamb because when the mom rejects it, they call it a bummer lamb. And so we're fostering this baby. We're feeding it. It's our bottle baby, basically. And for Passover, they had to bring the lamb in four to five days before. So they got attached to this little lamb running around their house, basically, and then they had to slaughter it. And so, yeah, that's that's hard. Right. So moving on, the next morning when they left, they took the unleavened bread dough with their kneading bowls on their shoulders as they left Egypt. Yeah. So the feast actually for them lasted from the night before they left Egypt to the day they crossed the Red Sea. So I thought that was cool that here before they went over the red sea which was a kind of a baptism in a sense it was a it was a baptism in the sense that they were moving on to a new life and they were crossing over the sea crossing through this red sea but with god above them in a cloud and and behind them and it's very interesting how they were in a sense metaphorically they were covered in water from all sides. And it's just like what we would think as a baptism. So let's move on to see how this feast points to the Messiah. So we will start 
Um, do you want to read the verse here, Luke nineteen thirty-eight? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Thank you. So we see that in Luke 19, John 12, and Matthew 21, we know this as the triumphal entry of Jesus. So this is the beginning of Holy Week. I'm going to give you dates and months. And basically, we're in the month of Nisan, N-I-S-A-N. And this is the 10th day. So this is going to be a little bit of a timeline. We're going to go through the days to to understand exactly what was going on and when. So this is 10 days into the month, but it's before the Passover feast. So this is where I just had mentioned they brought an unblemished lamb into their home. But something I just learned in some of my research, we call this Palm Sunday. The Jewish people called this day the day of the lambs. And the reason they called it the day of the lambs. So in your mind, try to picture all these people coming up to Jerusalem. And as they come up to Jerusalem, they're coming in for Passover. So they're bringing their lambs with them, but also all the shepherds are bringing their lambs because what the shepherds would do, they had special shepherds. And we've talked about this Mm -hmm. at Christmas time because the shepherds that saw Jesus that that actually saw the that the angels appeared to were more most likely Levitical shepherds, meaning that they raised the lambs and the sheep that would be used for sacrifice. So here they come, these Levitical shepherds, they would have lived in Bethlehem, and so they would have come in to Jerusalem through the gates, the same gate that Jesus came through on that colt. And uh, herds and herds of lambs coming in to be sacrificed for the Passover meal. At the same time, he's coming. And if you can picture all that, the day of the lambs, and here comes Jesus into Jerusalem to go to his Passover, to his sacrifice. The same fate as these little lambs that were traveling probably with him. That is a beautiful picture. <laughs> I And I love that day so much more to think of it being called the Day of Lambs rather than Palm Sunday. I, the family had to inspect this lamb and make sure it was free of blemish. And this is an exact parallel of what's going on with Jesus because when we read Luke 20, we see that he was also, in a sense, Jesus was also tested to see if he was free of blemish and we don't often think of it that way but this time that we read between the day that he entered Jerusalem and the day before his crucifixion was a time of testing do you have Luke 20 that you'd like to read that for me because this is one of the verses that show that this is a time of testing sure One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, tell us by what authority do you do these things? Or who is it that gives you this authority? So we see all these people. We see the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the um, rabbis, the scribes. They are challenging Jesus' authority. And that is testing to see if he's blemished or impure or all of those things 
so you when we were talking about this, you mentioned you knew people and maybe you said yourself as well, but why did they get rid of this yeast out of their homes? Yeah, the yeast represented sin. And I that was really, really neat. Yeah. So it's the same thing again, spiritually to welcome this lamb of God into our lives. This Passover lamb is what I was thinking. We have to basically get rid of the sin in our lives. Now we don't do it first, obviously he comes in and he does that. Um, but we have to be willing, right? We have to be willing to let go of, right. of Egypt, right? We have to be willing right. to say, Egypt is gone. That was my old life. Now I'm going into the promised land. And and I found it so interesting because as I've talked about this on this on this podcast before, but God not only had to take them out of Egypt, but he had to get Egypt out of them. And so it's the same difference for us. You know, it's the same exact thing that we go through. He not only takes us from a life of our flesh and desire, but he also has to remove that out of us through our relationship with him here. Symbolically, they were supposed to get rid of this yeast out of their homes to represent getting rid of the sin out of their lives. Right. And it takes a while, you know, I mean, it doesn't just happen overnight. It takes a while it does. Um, to, cause it's so ingrained in you from living in that sin or, living in Egypt for as long as they have. So it takes a while to get all that out and start changing. Yeah. And we can see if you continue to read in Exodus, you see the effects Egypt had on them. One of the first things they do is build an idol. Right. And they're constantly doing these things because they're constantly thinking like an Egyptian in a sense, instead of like a child of God. So God had to keep purging them of Egypt. And the way that Jesus does this is when he, and I'll just read this. This is Matthew 21, 12 through 13. And I use the ESV version. So it says, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. So what did he do? He cleaned out his house, just like the people did. He cleaned the sin out of his house. And when we see these, I I hope you're seeing the parallels because they're all very significant, but we can kind of gloss right over them and not really see the significance of them. And I love how it ties together the Old Testament and the New Testament, how that all ties together. It all goes back to the Old Testament. And that's why when we really read the New and Old Testament, if you read the New Testament, knowing the Old Testament, then you can see the Old Testament within the New Testament. Correct. Yep. So moving on, on the evening of the 13th of Nisan, Jesus sent his disciples to prepare the Passover for them. So now here we are on the 13th. I want to show you that this is significant that it's on this day. Because basically, Jesus is celebrating the Passover a day before the Orthodox Jews. He is not doing it with everyone else. Because keep in mind, he was the Passover lamb. He could not do the Passover when everybody else was eating the Passover. And I'll 
I hope that becomes more evident. Do you want to read Luke 22, 8 for me? Uh, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? Why do you think he told them to find a man carrying a jar of water? When I first read that, Stephanie, I was like, why does that have a significance? And I looked around, I thought I just couldn't find anything. And then um, when you and I started talking about everything and you talked about, um, see, what was, there was a name for it. Is it essence? A scene? A scene, yes. Then everything just kind of made a clear picture. It made total sense. Mm-hmm. And I'll let you tell them what the scene is. Okay, so the Essene, they were a sect of Judaism. So they were Jews, but they believed slightly different. And they also were the ones who were responsible for the writing of the Dead Sea Scrolls. But they didn't marry. They were kind of like the monks of Judaism, okay? They didn't marry. They stayed in their own areas. They ate together. They lived together. They had their own areas where they all gathered. And so when a man carried a jar of water, it meant that he didn't have a wife or he didn't have a mother who did it. So the Essenes carried their own water. And that's why it was significant that they had to find a man carrying the jar of water. And since they celebrated Passover a day before the other Orthodox Jews, then that is what they're going to do. Okay. So As you read, then came the day of unleavened bread. So this is the day. This is the the afternoon before they actually started the feast. So when he goes out, so now they're going to go back with this man. They're going to get this place where they're going to celebrate their own Seder meal. And this will lead to the events that come on that evening. So... This is where it gets kind of tricky because we talk about day and we talk about evening. Just as we saw in Genesis 1, it was evening and it was day. Evening is when their day started because that's how it was in Genesis. The significance of that man, the significance of when they do it, hopefully all makes sense as we keep going through. So they celebrated it on the evening of the 4th. I really love that because I would have never known that. And, you know, sometimes when you read those scriptures, like when I would read before, um, I would see that man carrying the jar of water. And I thought, well, that doesn't make sense, but you don't question it because you know, the Bible's true. So you just kind of go on, but um, studying with the Hebraic and the Judaism and everything, it just makes so much sense. And it really brings the scriptures to life for me. So now we're at the 14th. We're still at the 14th, but we're in the evening now. So you have their Passover meal they just did. Okay, so let me just talk a little bit about that a minute. So what's interesting is that during mm-hmm. a Passover meal, there were four cups of wine or or juice, whatever you prefer, but they, they used wine. So there were four cups, and then they had the unleavened bread, which was striped and pierced. Okay, just like Isaiah 53. So they would, there was a part with with the third cup that 
Jesus says, take this, this represents my body broken for you. So this is all part of the Passover where we get what we call communion was actually part of the Passover feast because there's a part in there when there's three pieces of matzah bread and the matzah bread, the middle one is taken out and wrapped in linen. And that piece then is broken in half and then it's has to be found by the children. So then the children find it, they bring it back to the master, the the man who is probably leading the Passover meal. Mm-hmm. And he takes it and he crushes it down into small pieces. And those pieces, one is given to each person at the Passover meal. And when they drink the third cup, they take their tiny piece of matzah and they eat that. That is what we call communion. And that is right smack in the middle of the Passover Seder. And that is when he said, do this in remembrance of me. We take it as do this, this part, because we don't often realizing that he was doing the whole meal. And I believe that he basically was talking about the meal because now he made the meal about himself. And he said, so do this now. Not only to remember the Exodus, but to remember me. That's what we do. We just do that one part, which there's nothing wrong with. But but how much more would you get if you did the whole feast and and see and do what Jesus did? Because he did this feast and this was his last meal, as we know. We call it the Last Supper. Any thoughts or comments on that part? I was just kind of trying to look up some different things while you were talking about um, like if it had any significance of as, you know, poking the holes and and all that when you make the unleavened bread. And I know poking the holes in the unleavened bread is represents, you know, Jesus being purest for our transgressions. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but it was just, I was trying to see if there was anything in there. Well, I know that when to keep something from rising, you have to get out the air. So the holes represented, you know, they kept it from rising, even though it wasn't made with yeast they didn't want it to rise. They wanted it to be flat and crispy. But yeah, you're right. It all goes back to Isaiah 53. And it, it's neat how the bread, you know, when you make that unleavened bread, how it has the brown stripes on it. And mm-hmm. you know, those were the stripes that he took back. And it's just mm-hmm. when you put everything together, it's so beautiful how God just takes those scriptures and he just makes them come alive. Once again, it's just um, knowing all this and learning all this is great. And next week, I'm talking to Kay Mortimer, and she actually talks about the three cups. And in Matthew, it says that each time Jesus went to pray, he said, take this cup from me. He said it three times, not just once. Every time he went out to pray, and then he'd go and wake up his disciples, and then he went back to pray, wake up his disciples and went back. Each of those three times, he, he started with, take this cup from me. So she's going to explain those three cups and what they mean. Oh, and that's really interesting. And that's why he says, you cannot drink this cup. Only I can. Oh, that makes So I won't even ruin that surprise. That is so interesting the way she goes into all of that. So these are going to be back to back. And so you can, you can hear this part and then you'll hear a little bit more from her next week. Exciting. So now Jesus washes his disciples' feet 
And this is when they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. So we're right here at this place. And this is the point where the soldiers arrest him. And this is the beginning of the 14th. So this is that evening. So we would we would think of it as the evening of the 13th, but they think of it as the evening as the 14th because it's that evening going into the 14th, which begins at midnight for us. So they first take him to the chief priest or the high priest, I should say. And then he was questioned and he was mocked and they beat him. So then, and again, I I want to stay on the timeline. So now at daybreak, so this is going to be early, like 6 a.m. on the 14th. They took Jesus before the assemblies of the elders, the scribes, and the chief priests. And we can find that in Luke 22. They take him to Pilate next. This is what's interesting. When they take him to Pilate, Pilate, of course, was a Gentile. So the guards who were Jewish didn't go into the governor's headquarters because it would defile them and they could not eat the Passover feast. So that's in John 18, 28. So now we see that they haven't even eaten the Passover meal yet. Only Jesus had eaten it with his disciples. So this is the proof. Okay. I know I've said it, but this is the verse. John 18, 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So this is why they won't go in with him. Okay. So now we know that the Passover had not begun for them. We are at the time of the early morning of the day of Passover. Okay. We know that Jesus was sentenced to death by crucifixion. Now, this is a long verse. So John 19, 12 through 16. So there's about four verses here. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now, this is the important part. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Again, that's John 19, 12 through 16. So we can see from this verse that it's the eve or the preparation day of Passover. That would be Thursday, the 14th of Nisan, about noon. So Passover begins that evening on Thursday, what we would call Thursday. Right. Now, let me give you a little side note. You and I both know that Shabbat is on Friday evening to Saturday evening. That's the Sabbath. But did you know that there were seven added Shabbats to the year? I did not know that until we started studying this. Mm -hmm. So every feast they had, which is why there's seven, they have seven feasts. There was an, an additional Shabbat or Sabbath. So they had seven extra Shabbats, including every week, 
from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. Okay. That is an important little piece of information because it makes the timeline more understandable. Okay. Right. So let's move on. And now we're in Luke 23, 44 through 46. And it says, it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So we're talking about noon to three while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So Jesus died on the ninth hour, or like I said, about 3 p.m. But what was interesting is that the priest during this time, that he's dying on the cross during these three hours, pretty much, they begin to take in the lambs. There's like, literally lines of people who are waiting for their lamb to be slaughtered so that they can take it home and and prepare it for the Passover meal. So while this crucifixion is going on, people with their lambs are lined up. And as the lamb is slaughtered, the blood is caught into a silver bowl. And what you have is almost an assembly line for uh, all the priests and so they're holding their bowls they pass it on and then it's changed into a gold bowl and then the last person the last priest throws it on the altar so this blood is still being thrown on the altar and so and then at this point the lambs are held up and on a hook so here they are these lambs are being hung on this nail And then their arms are uh, stretched out in a crucifixion pose as they are skinned. The very thing that's going on, you know, Golgotha is going on in the temple and the lambs are in the same position. So it's, it's really amazing to me that those kinds of details are kind of just forgotten for us you know they're not talked about and not mentioned right god just brings that all around brings it all together in such a neat a neat way that mm-hmm. uh, the foreshadowing and everything i just think that's really neat that he did that yeah and then of course a remez so this is a hebrew word and it's a way of studying scripture so a remez is a teaching tool that a rabbi may have used and we can actually use it in in the way that we even discuss scripture so like if i gave you a hint of something or i said so for my hint i might just say what is john three sixteen? that's a hint for you to then quote that verse okay so remez is a is a hint right and so from the cross when jesus is saying my god my god why have you forsaken me we find that in psalm 22 1 Well, what a good rabbi would do is he would quote a verse, as we call it, out of a passage of scripture, and then a good disciple, or all, I should say, all his disciples would remember and think about where that verse is, and then they would need to quote it and then think of the rest of the passage. And sometimes they would have to quote the whole passage to their rabbi. So do you think the Jewish 
people standing there would think that too? Yes, absolutely. I do. I That's a really good question because I think anybody who was there that studied the scriptures would have had right. to think about what he was quoting from. And the thing is, is Psalm 22 is a messianic Psalm. So it's intentionally about the Messiah. So I asked Shonda to read a few of the verses that we find in Psalm 22 that point to what was going on on the cross and in or in the crowd. So you want to start with Psalm 22, 6 through 7? Sure. Uh, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. Okay. And then I think we talked about 14 through through 18. Yes. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a postured and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots from my garment. So even as you read that, I can picture that and I and we know from the New Testament that that's exactly what was happening. Right. So we know from the New Testament they divided his garments and they cast lots for him. We know that he was gawked at, that he was probably naked and they they took off everything. And of course, and, and think of the blood and the, the wounds that he had on his body. It, it didn't matter. I mean, what was on him, the beatings and everything, I'm sure would have torn his clothing apart right so all of these scriptures then for anyone listening who knew psalm 22 would have had to quote these scriptures remember these scriptures and would have recognized i'm seeing this happen so it would have been very much a tool but here is jesus their rabbi is still teaching from the cross right and I had read that they, when he said this, they beat their chest and they left. And I looked up to see what beat their chest, you know, like why the Jewish people would do this. And it said one, they were mourning. And then the other one is mm. they realized their sins. Yeah. So that is a really good point because that suggests that they understood what was going on. Right. Like you said, from how he said, my God, my God, you know, it brought to mind the Ramez brought to mind what was being prophesied. Right. Psalm 22. So very good. Very good. So that's excellent addition. So, and again, his last words, as we know from scripture were, it is finished. But again, if you go to what the priests were doing, they had to stop before sundown because not only did they have to stop before sundown, right. because that's when the Passover began, but they also needed from my understanding. Now this there's different, people who say different things so but one of the understandings that i have about this is that they had to stop at three o'clock because they needed to have time to basically clean up before sundown before the passover began and there was a lot of blood there was a lot of animals okay right so here's the end all these sheep you know, I should say all these lamb, and of course they were all male lambs, and they were being sacrificed. So now here's the end. The, sh- the priest stands up and says it is finished because there will be no more sacrifices. They're done. 
And so you have the priest standing there shouting, it is finished. At the same time, the Lord is dying on the cross and he says, it is finished. And that is why actually it tells us in Acts. And even, even I think I've mentioned this before, but Luke, he, when his gospel is to Theophilus, who was a high priest. And from what I understand, Mm -hmm. the high priest wanted to know who's this man that all my priests are following. So the priests got it because they saw the parallels of what was going on. Right. We often get told that this is just the generic name for a God lover, but, but this particular priest actually existed and you can look him up online and Google the name and it will actually bring up his name. And he had a Greek name, but so did Luke. But Luke had to have been a Jew because he couldn't have written about all these things not being a Jew. And he couldn't have written to a high priest being a Gentile. So there's evidence for that. So getting back to our story, that's a little bit of a tangent, which I always take. So everything that happened happened perfectly in the sense that Jesus fulfilled it perfectly. Right. Fast forward to John 19. Actually, let me just rephrase this. So on the day of preparation for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, so this is the day of preparation for Passover, and John 19.31 says, since it was a day of preparation, Thursday, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, which is what we talked about before, that this was an extra Sabbath, this was a Sabbath, was a high day. Right. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. But we know that his legs weren't broken because he died. And so Jesus died on the day of preparation for the Passover. He was in the tomb Thursday, Thursday night, Friday, Friday night, Saturday, and Saturday night. Three days and three nights. Wow. And that's why it never made sense to us. It wasn't three days when he, if we, put his death on Friday. It It's not three days. It's not three nights. I always questioned that. So by you explaining that now, that makes so much more sense. Thank you for clarifying that for me. So you're welcome. It helps us all because it helps us see the timeline, but it also helps us know that the Bible wasn't lying. Right. Jesus wasn't lying when he said he'd be in the grave three days and three nights. He, he meant it. And that's what happened. Right. So fast forward three days, three nights to the resurrection. So we see in John 20 that Mary stands outside the tomb weeping. And this is the verse, John 20, 11 through 12. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. So it's important to get that picture in your mind. You have two angels, one at the head, one at the feet. Right. So do you want to read the next verse in Exodus? Um, this is Exodus 25, 17 through 20. And this, what she'll read are the directions that God gave Moses to build the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. Okay. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold and you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work. Shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat, make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end 
of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another towards the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. So here we go. God is there with Moses, but at the same time, he's looking right. almost 1500 years into the future. If not more, I think it's about 1500, but he's looking into the future and he sees a son being crucified and laid in a tomb and he sees his resurrection and he's like, I'm going to have you make that. I'm going to have you make that picture that I'm seeing. So this picture will be with you for all these years on the mercy seat. And you can imagine that, you know, I mean, they clean up the bodies before they lay them in the tomb. But the amount of blood, you know, you can only imagine that there had to be some blood where they laid him. And so, and what was the mercy seat for? The mercy seat was where they put the sacrifice between the two cherubim. So you, so it's, it's an exact replica of the mercy seat. Yeah. It's amazing to me. Here comes Mary into the tomb, the angels God placed at each end. Sitting there facing one another at the wings, spread out over wow. the place Jesus' body had been. That was so awesome. Then he told Moses to build it. I, I just think that's really cool. I do too. So that was just amazing to me the first time I heard that. Yeah. And, you know, when I read this, I had to go and look everything up. And j- just reading it in the Bible after what you've told me and everything, it's just kind of mind boggling how God can do all that he does. It's everything is just so perfect. Mm-hmm. Really neat how he how he did that so back, you know, so long ago, back when Moses, and now here we see it with Jesus dying and being placed in the tomb and it's really something neat. That's right. So he suffered and died a horrible death for us because he loves us. So I encourage you guys to take time to thank him for what he did. Take time to Listen and re-listen to this if you need to, so you can share it with others. Because I think that it's not about, of course, we all know this, but it's not about Easter bunnies and colored eggs. It's, It's about the Messiah and what he did on the cross and his resurrection and the blood of atonement. None of us can really understand it. We can't take it all in what he went through. Right. So thank you for joining me and thank you for being here today because uh, this is fun. I hope everyone listening enjoys this and we'll try to do one for Pentecost as well. Yeah. So we'll sit down and talk about Pentecost. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I really, I really enjoy this and us sitting down and just talking everything over that we read and we study. Great to learn it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for your input. I appreciate that. Oh, no problem. Thank you for listening to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. You can find me at www.graftedjewishroots.com. You can also find me on Twitter at GraftedJewishRT. I appreciate you being with me, and I'll see you next time.